This is Play-By-Play Cast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys, by I'm told, a play-by-play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of Play-by-Play Cast, Todd Bodet. <laughs> Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay, here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Lorenzo Neal at the 25, yeah, reaches it. it back to Wycheck. He throws it across the field to Dyson. He's got something. 30, He's 40, got something. 50, He's got 40, it. He's got 40, it. 20, 10, He's got it. End zone. Touchdown, Titans. There are no flags on the field. It's a miracle. Tennessee has pulled a miracle. Back at you with another edition of Play by Playcast here on a Friday morning. Not coming your way today. From the Motel 6 in Moab, Utah. We are back home this week in what Colt Cabana would call the studio apartment. Welcome to Indianapolis, everybody, for episode 54 of Play by Play Cast. Our guest today is the longtime voice of the Tennessee Titans, head of the ranks of the NFL. Mike Keith will join us coming up here in just a little bit. Uh, we'll talk a lot about the Music City Miracle, which you heard just off the top there. January 2000, wide check to Dyson, lateral, not a lateral, maybe a lateral, definitely a lateral. Uh, we'll dive into a lot of that uh, here with, with Mike Keith and much, much more. Uh, in the meantime, hope you enjoyed last week with Brian Seaman. Uh, the week before that, Kevin Calabro with the LA Clippers and Portland Trailblazers, respectively, to uh, really good conversations on basketball. So uh, if you're a basketball play-by-play guy or you're just curious about their careers, uh, you can scroll back quickly through the archives and catch those two conversations. Uh, NBA draft last night. One of those guys' teams got drastically better. Uh, the other one's team had zero picks. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm an Indiana guy right now, just outside Indianapolis. So Indiana flavor headed to Portland. Biggie Swanigan, Caleb Swanigan, headed out to the uh, Portland Trailblazers as part of the NBA draft last night. The Clippers had zero picks. It's amazing to me, by the way, I, how much wheeling and dealing gets done in the NBA that involves draft picks. The amount of teams that, if you look at the list of teams that did not have a pick in the second round, uh, 13. 13 teams, almost half the league, did not have a pick in the second round of the NBA draft last night. Uh, but that's a whole other topic. Uh, if you want to go back and listen to the conversations with uh, Brian Seaman and Kevin Calabro, or any of the previous 53 conversations we've had on this podcast uh, you can do so in the archives as always uh, feel free to interact with the podcast we are on twitter at pxpcast i am on twitter at joel godet and then uh, ratings and reviews uh, same old shtick as far as that is concerned uh, if you have some time throw a couple of stars our way or review our way what you like about the pod what you don't like about the pod um, if somebody stumbles across it on iTunes, wants to know whether or not they should listen, see it has a handful of stars and a handful of interesting comments and reviews, uh, certainly helps us all moving forward. So we greatly appreciate that. Uh, anyway, on to Mike Keith, who has been kind of Tennessee through and through in his career and has worked his way up into his spot with the Titans uh, and did so when they moved from Houston, when they were the Houston Oilers and they came to be the Tennessee Oilers and the Tennessee Titans. Uh, Mike 
kind of climbed the ladder of a couple of different broadcasting jobs, including being an analyst in his career uh, with the Titans. So we'll talk a little bit about his career path, uh, the particulars of calling a football game, why the basics are really important, and how that can apply to fight through a bad game as well. Uh, and that relates directly to the Music City Miracle, which we'll talk about off the top here as well. And then if you listen till the end, you get kind of a treat because we'll dive into one really oddball sport to broadcast. It's not an oddball sport. It's an oddball sport to broadcast. It's not something you really uh, would stumble across a lot in a sports broadcasting career. Uh, so Mike and I will kind of dive into to a little quirk in his career um, at the end of things as well. Where we start, though, is with that Music City Miracle and what it was like uh, early in his career, as the vo- very early in his career as the voice of the Tennessee Titans, to be on the call for a moment that is so iconic, really in sports history. This is going to make me seem really, A, young, and I don't mean to make Mike seem old, but when I was growing up, one of the very first times I was really introduced on a serious level to sports broadcasting, I had this book, and it came with DVDs and CDs. And in it, it had the play-by-play calls of some really big moments in sports. And this was just kind of after the Music City Miracle had happened, so 2000, 2001, maybe 2002. I was early on in high school. And one of the calls on the CD was, again, the Music City Miracle. And I remember listening to it a ton, and just getting these like chills and goosebumps. There are no flags on the field. Tennessee has pulled a miracle. Has always just kind of resonated with me. And I, I hear it now to this day and I still get goosebumps. It's one of my favorite calls. Uh, so with that as kind of the background, that's where I wanted to start with Mike. Uh, to get a perspective of what it was like for him that day uh, to make the call that he did on a moment that is so iconic in sports and then in particular for fans of the Tennessee Titans. Mike Keith here on Play by Play Cast. There are a lot of funny stories around that. The, the first funny story is that was the end of my first year doing play by play. And for the majority of that ball game, I was as bad as I had ever been and have been since. Um, when you do play by play, you understand that you're going to have a game every year where it's as if you have peanut butter on the roof of your mouth. Things don't come out right. What you mean to say is just confused. And and then you say things wrong and you're like, why did I do that? And I, I think I, as a young broadcaster was too fired up to do a playoff game. I just think I was too hyper and I was terrible. And so with about seven minutes to go in the game, I went to the back of the booth and just tried to compose myself and just say, look, for the rest of this game, just make sure that you get the down and distance right, the score right, and all of the the basic things that we do. You know, just who has the ball, who made the tackle, and it's second and seven, and go on like that. And so it was almost assuming the role of a PR, or I should say a public address announcer, just to get through the game because anything I said outside of that was just terrible. And so then we go on, the game wraps up, and the Music City Miracle play happens. (laughs) So there's the great irony in that is I remember how awful I was that day, and I thought I was going to get fired. (laughs) I I thought they would say at the end of this game, I had had a real (laughs) – 
solid first year. Nothing spectacular, nothing memorable, nothing, you know, I mean, I had done okay. I had, I think I had proven that I was capable of the job until that day. That day, I wouldn't have been capable for any job. The second part of that is that there were four calls of the play on record. And there was a national radio call, which with the announcer who was doing it, who I believe was John Rooney, should have been excellent. But the color announcer was literally screaming over him. So you kind of just threw that one away. The one on TV with Theismann and Patrick and uh, oh, the guy who played for Buffalo. I can't remember his name right now. Um, they were arguing during the course of the play as to whether it was a lateral or not. So in essence, they didn't give Mike Patrick much of a chance to call the play because there was some assumption in their broadcast that it was going to be called back anyway. And then the Buffalo announcer was a great announcer by the name of Van Miller, who, I mean, I'd like to be Van Miller when I grow up someday. <laughs> he was something else. And he had sort of called the play before it happened. He'd said he'd said something and I can't remember exactly what it was. So I, I don't want to sound like I'm quoting verbatim, but in essence, he said, you've got to watch out for a trick play. And then during the course of the play, most of what he said was, I told you so. So ours was really the only one that called the play. And while my color commentator, Pat Ryan, did talk during the play, it was almost like he perfectly inserted himself. And, and his is the most special part of the call because he got right away that it was a big play. He could see right away that Kevin Dyson had open field. And so it was truly the blind squirrel finds the acorn because in essence, there were all these much more qualified broadcasts and broadcasters who were available to call this particular play. And for one reason or another, their calls didn't work out. Ours did on a day where I was absolutely terrible. So, I mean, there's just, <laughs> you know, you, you, you think back about it now, 18 years later, or however long it's been, 17 to 18 years later, and you, you remember all that, and it's very humbling because in no way should that have been, and because it was, I was very fortunate. What do you think that tells you or can inform even younger broadcasters today too now, um, when we all try to, I think in our own respects, reinvent the wheel a little bit in terms of broadcasting and, and how we make ourselves a little bit different and how we approach things and how we call things. Uh, but that the, the call that maybe people most associate with your career or with the Titans franchise certainly uh, is a call where it was a day where you said, let me go be as basic and simple as possible. And you cut out all the bells and whistles and what wound up, coming to fruition was both a great play, yes, but also a, a call with it that was both fitting and iconic. I think it comes down to the fact that your job as an announcer, first and foremost, is to set things for the audience. And I say some, I get ready to say something that I've been guilty of myself. And, and that is we, we try too hard at times to be 
the announcers that we hear and want to be like, you know, when I was, when I started in broadcasting, my background is really baseball and everywhere I did baseball, whether it was college or pro baseball, there was some guy trying to sound like Jack Buck. I mean, it was, it was like they were doing a Jack Buck impersonator contest everywhere (laughs) I went because Jack Buck was so great but they were trying to do this very Midwest, very hello. And, and the thing I say about that is Joe Buck doesn't even do a Jack Buck. Joe Buck does Joe Buck. Yeah. That's what he, that's what he does. And Joe learned early on, there's only one Jack Buck. You, you have to fulfill the basics. First of all, down in distance time and score, who has the ball, who made the tackle, the basic things that the audience wants to know and your style kind of grows out of that. And I think there becomes a very honest part when that happens. I just had a young broadcaster send me his stuff. And let me tell you, he is as good as I have ever heard. I mean, so much further along than I was at that age. I mean, like 10 years further along. I mean, really could get a could get a big league job right off the bat. The issue he has, though, is he's trying to do an impersonation of a very popular announcer today. And so he's way too wordy. Now, for this announcer, who I love, it works perfectly because it's him. For what this gentleman is doing, it doesn't work at all because it sounds like he's a knockoff. So. I think for all of us, the the tough part is getting into our own skin and finding what we do. For me, I grew up listening to a man by the name of John Ward who did the University of Tennessee for 30-plus years. And when I got the job with the Titans, I worked for John. I grew up listening to him, and I worked for John for 11 years with the Ball Radio Network. So I get this job. 99 is my first year. We play six games, and then we have a bye week. So I'm going to listen to my tapes during the bye week to to find out what I think I'm doing well and, you know, self-critique. Well, it turns out I'm doing a complete ripoff of John Ward. I I mean, it's like I'm doing his act. I'm calling outside of his touchdown call. I'm doing everything he did. And all I can think to myself is, oh, no, you know, what, what am I doing? Well, the, the natural part of that, too, is having grown up listening to him and having worked with him, my ear was trained to him. So I didn't know I was doing it. I wasn't trying to be him necessarily. And I, I'm saying sometimes you try to be somebody else. Other times your ear is just trained a certain way. And so I had to work myself out of that very quickly. And it, it took quite a while for me to figure out who I was and what I did. And I was very lucky that in Pat Ryan, I had a color commentator who was as colorful as I've ever been around. He should be doing national broadcast right now. He's so funny. And the audience listened for him. I was his straight man. So they didn't expect anything out of me because they listened for Pat. I guess they listened to me to not screw up and to just keep Pat in the road. (laughs) And we worked together for six years. And at the point that I moved to working with Frank Wycheck, who was a very inexperienced broadcaster, 
I was in a very different place and sort of knew what it was that I tried to do. It takes a while, which is why experience is the big thing. And you, you have to grow into who you are doing that. It's not about, um, it, it, it's not about trying to be somebody else. I mean, there, you know, you went through the periods where everybody wanted to be Chris Berman and everybody wanted to be Stuart Scott. And you've got all these guys now who want to be Jim Nance. Um, you want to be Kevin Harlan. You can't do that. I mean, you just can't do it. You've got to be you. And it takes a tremendous amount of confidence to throw yourself out there being who you are. But the more quickly you learn that, the better chance you have to succeed. All I can say about Kevin is if I can ever do play-by-play of a drunk fan on the field with that kind of precision, I will, I will die a happy man. Well, and he could. <laughs> I mean, he is as good as there is out there right now at setting a game. I mean, I, I tried to set up part of my life where I can hear some of his Monday night football. Um, he's, he is just yeah. so good and has such an unbelievable gift He's an exceptionally nice man for one thing. And I think that comes across in his broadcast is you get the fact that he's a fan and that he's a good guy and that he's a guy you'd like to hang around with. And so he gives you this feel that he's informing you like he's the guy sitting next to you in your home theater or at the bar or wherever. And, you know, those are always the best kind of play by play announcers. When you talk about finding yourself and finding who you are, um, there was an article that uh, asked you and, and Wes Durham about each other and kind of talked about your, your affinity for one another as well. And, and Wes had the quote that he, he said, you were an old school announcer, um, kind of like himself. Uh, what do you think that mean? And what, what does that mean to you to, to describe yourself or, or be described as an old school announcer? I'm still doing radio. <laughs> you know, that that's part of it is that there are a lot of people on radio today who are doing a TV play-by-play broadcast. The, my, the guy who taught me, John Ward, was very quick to make the point. You know, John would, when he broadcast, he would not let us have a TV monitor on in the booth. Oh, wow. Because he, he said, our audience, if they're going to, if they're going to watch the TV and turn down the set. And remember when John was working, even for the majority of time until the very end, and his last year was the 98, 99 school year. Every game was on every, by the end of that, every game was on TV, but for years he did football and basketball and the majority of games were not on TV. And so as the phenomena really created itself where people would turn down the sound and listen to the play-by-play announcer of their school or their team on the radio, John, John was unconcerned about that from the standpoint that he wanted to still do very much a radio broadcast where things were uh, not just not just precise but he wanted to make sure that the guy who was on his lawnmower or in his boat or in a deer stand or driving the kids to ball practice could follow the game perfectly that it was theater of the mind and so that was the way Wes was taught through his dad sure and that's and that's the way I was taught now I do allow monitors on in my booth (laughs) (laughs) I I get that every game is on tv um 
I, I, I'm not going to wait five extra seconds for, for things to happen to set them up. That's, that's not the way I'm doing it. But I'm not trying to call it along with the video per se, and I'm going to use more words than what I need. It's funny because in the last five years, I've gotten a chance to do television. And I enjoy it very much as a as a as a different challenge, and the it's a completely different animal because you don't need as many words. But I'm going to set things up for you on the radio as if you're listening to radio because if you're taking the time to be part of the audience, then what I'm interested in is giving you the best radio broadcast that I can, and that's I think that's what Wes is talking about is that both of us. Are, we're doing left to right. And I, and I say I take a lot of grief because once a broadcast, I always say left to right on your radio dial or moving right to left on your radio dial. And people will, particularly young people, will say, well, I don't have a dial. What is you know, a dial? What is he, yeah. What's a <laughs> dial? What are you talking about? Well, all that is, is that's a tip of my cap to where I come from, to the John Ward's. And the Larry Munsons and the and the Paul Eels and the Jim Fifes and the Kaywood Ledfords, those gentlemen that I grew up listening to and respecting and admiring who did it that way. And I'm gonna say it on every broadcast for as long as I broadcast because that's that's who taught me. And I I love those people. I love what they did. I loved that style. I mean, to grow up in the South. And you think of how many great play-by-play announcers in this country have come from the South. We're a lot about storytelling. If you sit down with somebody at a dinner and they're from the South and they start to tell you a story, it's generally going to be pretty entertaining. (laughs) I I mean, because there's going to be Cousin Bob or I mean, they're going to describe the descriptions of things are very, very special. Because you're talking about a culture of folks who grew up doing that. And, you know, my dad's like that. I had an uncle like that. Everybody from the South has somebody in their family who can spin a yarn, so to speak. And I I think that's been a lot of the success of radio play-by-play announcers in particular over the years in sports is they, they tell that story. It's not about Cousin Bob. It's about Choo Choo Justice. Or it's it's about Bernard King, or it's about Bill Wade, or it's about Bear Bryant. You you see my point? Yeah. It, it, and and that style is is there, and it's still there to a certain extent. It's not it's not there as much as it once was. I come from that, and I'm very proud that I come from that. If I can go back to in some essence the where we started here as well, and and you talked about. You know, you, you had a you were having a bad day the day of the Music City Miracle. And, and occasionally you said, you know, everybody has a day like that. Um, and I, I certainly sympathize with that because it happens to me every so often, too, where you have a half or you have a game where you can't think of the right word or whatnot. Right. Uh, the thing that struck me most, though, was that uh, you've said it always it, it often happens when you feel most prepared. Right. Why do you think that is? Uh, because I, I, I generally sympathize with that that thinking as well. Yeah, because it it has to do with the fact that it's like anything else. You watch a team practice during the week, and you think, man, this team's sharp. Man, this team's fired up. Man, this team's ready. And they come out and they fumble the first three possessions of the game. And (laughs) it 
who knows what the explanation is? You know, who, who really knows a couple of the best games I've ever called. I've been sick all week and have been less prepared than normal and walk in and do a nice broadcast. Maybe because I'm just focused on the basics, maybe because I don't know as much and my brain is not as cluttered, or maybe I'm not as worried about the pregame meal because I'm scared to eat because I've been sick all week. (laughs) I I have no rationale. I, I really don't, but it does happen. And the thing that you have to learn to do is to calm yourself, realize you don't have it. And how are, how are we going to gut this out? You think about a NASCAR driver who doesn't have a good car and it's like, okay, I'm not going to win today, but how do I finish this race and do something that is not disastrous? How do I somehow finish this race in the top 20? Yeah. That all of us are at that point, and I think you you have to go back to basics at that moment. I think you have to you go back to the basics of what you're taught. It's first and ten at the twenty. Mariota hands the ball to Henry at right guard. He's tackled by Jackson. It's a gain of three. It's second and seven at the twenty-three. The Titans lead the Colts ten to three as we play in the third quarter with thirteen minutes and fifteen seconds to go. Okay. Okay. You spit that out. That ain't sexy. There is nothing that I did right there. That was a thing of beauty that you say, Oh boy, that's hall of fame quality, (laughs) but you know what it is? It's accurate and it's not bad. And when I listened back to the music city miracle call 30 minutes after the game ended, the only thing I thought, I thought, dear God, let me have the names right. And I did. And it was accurate and it wasn't awful. The public's going to decide whether they like you or not. They're going to make that decision. that's, That's out of your control. What you can control is can you do something accurately and can you do something that is, okay, not bad, that you've put it out there. And then maybe there's an expansive part where you get lucky on the front end and do you say, do the Titans have a miracle left in them in a season that has been magical to this point? And then do you scream like a seven-year-old girl when he <laughs> scores the touchdown? Because that's honest. Yeah. That that was what that was. That was honest. So so what happened in between was just focused on basics and the public's going to decide that. And you can't you can't control that. That's the hard part is you've got to do it and let it go. How old were you when you started doing play by play at at the point in the Titans uh, history? Thirty two. What's it like uh, being I mean, 30. I mean, I feel like at 32, you probably have a pretty good grasp on who you are. But what's it like being thrust onto that stage as I would imagine at that point, one of the younger voices in the NFL as well and. I know you just said the audience will decide whether they like you or not, um, but take me through the mindset and the mentality of, of, of that point in your career. I was the second youngest announcer in the NFL, and it was, um, it was overwhelming. I had 37 messages on the answering machine when I got home. Didn't, didn't really realize what had happened on the radio was a big deal because I work for the team. I work with our marketing effort. I work with our community relations effort all of those sorts of things. The play-by-play part of it is just 
one part of my job. I did not get hired to be the play-by-play announcer. They could have hired many guys who were much better announcers and much more experienced. I was hired because I was from here. They needed somebody from here very badly making the move from Houston. And they needed someone with marketing and sales and speaking experience, you know, somebody to, to sort of be a front man. And I had all those experiences. So I was just, you know, cause I was in on when they were selling the seats to build the stadium. I had a hard hat. I gave people tours. I literally sold tickets in the stadium. There were people who, after their tour from me bought tickets. I was kind of proud of that. <laughs> um, so when we went into this game, that that completed our goals for the year. Our goals were to sell out every game, to make the playoffs, and to host a home playoff game. And we did all that, and then to win in such dramatic fashion and to get to move on as an employee of the team. Honestly, Joe, I'm just thinking, man, hey, this is just fun. <laughs> well, then we go to this, we go to a restaurant, and I'm with my buddy Cody Allison, who did sidelines for us for 15 years, a longtime friend. And we're at Chili's and we're sitting in the area outside of the bar. We can see the TV, but the the TV is in the other section. And, you know, they never have the sound turned up ever. You know, it's always just you're just seeing whatever in the bar. They had the sound turned up and they're playing our call. And it's like, whoa, well, that's odd. (laughs) And we get on the we get on the parking lot and Cody says to me, he goes, uh, he goes, I think this is a pretty big deal. And, um, so I get home and I get all these messages and I'm sitting there going, Whoa, what in the world? And then the next day is Sunday. We, that game was on a Saturday. The next day, Sunday, they want me for media availability. Fisher's doing a press conference. Jeff Fisher's doing a press conference and either before or after, I can't remember which they wanted me to talk to the media. I've never done that before or since. And I'm sitting here going, okay, this is kind of different. And when I get into the office on Monday, I mean, it is overwhelming. Uh, The interview requests, and I'm doing shows with these national sports talk hosts who I've admired for years. And I just, you know, I just went in my office and I sat down and I closed the door, which I rarely do, and kind of tried to gather myself. And, um, I wrote John Ward a letter. I sat down at that moment. I wrote John Ward a letter and I said, listen, I, I'm people are saying I did a good job on this. And I, I don't know if I did or not, but if I did, it was because of what you taught me. And I just want you to know that I said, that's important to me at this very moment. I want you to know that. And he sent me a letter back that I got the end of that week. And he said, I was listening and I was like, oh, gosh, you got to be <laughs> kidding. You were listening. You know, that's nuts because he's not even that big a sports fan. He's a gardener, right? He gardens. Yeah. He would, and, and he was gardening that day. He was gardening that day. And he said, I, he goes, I think it was a great call or something to that effect. He praised the call. But he said, I was prouder of you for the way you called Buffalo's field goal because you did that professionally. You did. You didn't. You know. You didn't say, "Oh, they made the field goal." You called the field goal like a pro. He said, "That's what I taught you." And 
you know, I took that forward that, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not going to do the bit. Am, am I more excited when the Titans do something? Well, sure. Uh, yeah, you bet. I, I'm the Titans announcer, but am I going to act like the other team didn't do something well when they scored? No, <laughs> I mean, they're professional athletes. They, what they do, they're getting paid for. I have ultimate respect for them. I, I'm going to give them respect. I'm not going to act like the disappointed guy. And I was so glad he reminded me of that. Now, you did color before you became the voice, correct? <laughs> not well. Yeah, I was curious. Like, how does, how, walk me on the process of, becoming, of, of, of getting into that role and, and what you're thinking when you're in that role. Well, they wanted me here for all of the things that I talked about earlier, sure. for sales, for marketing, for going to speak to groups, to working with our community relations department on our caravan, for all of those things. They had never heard a tape of me on the radio. They knew me because I had worked for them in the past. I had done a pregame show, and I'd done scoreboard, and they knew I'd done play-by-play, -play, and they knew I'd worked with John Ward. And so they knew I was a broadcaster and that I hadn't been at it for just two minutes. I'd been at it for a while. They had never heard me do play-by-play -play when they hired me. <laughs> so they made the unconventional move of bringing me in as the color announcer and to work with Joe McConnell. And what a year that was because Joe McConnell was as good a sounding broadcaster a guy that used his voice and used his language and, oh gosh, I, I, I don't know that I've heard many announcers who sound better. And to work with him was, was really something else. I mean, that guy could call a game. Now he did it very differently. He offered a lot of opinions. Uh, he, he inserted himself in different ways. I mean, he was very much a pro style broadcaster which I was not used to. And so in learning that, that was a great experience to help get me ready in a, in a different way. I, I was the one though, Joe lives in Indianapolis. And so I went to practice and I met with the coordinators and I met with the head coach. So I knew what was going on and I would fill him in. I'd say, Hey, listen, there's a good chance they may run a halfback pass at some point. Um, if they go to the personnel grouping with that, you know, I'll, I'll give you a nod or, or whatever. And it, it really went well. It was a great year. And I thought we were a, a pretty doggone good team because I, I really wanted to do well for him. And uh, he was exceedingly nice to me. I, I think he knew it was going to be my ship at some point. And he didn't have to be nice to me. He could have been a big jerk to me. And he, he wasn't. And man, I mean, you hear his call of Walter Payton breaking the record and, you know, all of the different things that he did over the years with the Bears and the Vikings and, you know, Purdue. I, I mean, this is uh, this is one of our our best all time announcers that I had a chance to to work with very closely for a year. What do you think that year uh taught you about working with an analyst too, having been an analyst uh, and, and how to have a better relationship and how to uh, better use that part of a broadcast? It's a great sense. question. Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, for me, he was very giving to me. 
And that's what it taught me. I told Pat Ryan and I told Frank Wycheck and when I do, when I get a chance to do baseball with Rusty Inser and with, you know, other announcers at times that I get a chance to work with, I always tell them the same thing. talk all you want. Talk. Don't be afraid to talk because the, the difficulty sometimes is pulling it out of people who are not willing to talk. You know, they're, they, and they don't know when to go and they're scared and, you know, all of those sorts of things. In this case, talk, please talk, <laughs> feel, feel like you can talk all you want. If I have to back you down, I will, I, I will say, Hey, listen, I need you to let me finish certain things, but you will get my flow and I'll get your flow. And it, it works really, really well. And so like for Pat Ryan, Pat Ryan knew he could talk all he wanted. He could talk over plays. He could call the play. He could do, I mean, whatever he wanted to do. I was going to mold what I do around them because I'm the broadcaster. You know, that's what it says on my <laughs> work application, right? <laughs> Pat builds houses. Frank's a former athlete who does a, a talk show. Uh, I guess he's technically a broadcaster now, <laughs> but for a lot of these people, I mean, Rusty Inser was a broadcaster before he became a, a real estate uh, executive, but this is what we do. So it's our job to work with them. And if you're giving to them and you make them feel comfortable, they will do a better job for you. So that's always my message. And based on that experience is just feel free to talk, let it go. When you get a guy like Frank, too, uh, who's fairly new to it when he starts, what's it like founding that relationship? Um, and, you know, I to say, hey, you know, talk, but also when there's a moment where you say, okay, well, maybe pull it back here or maybe you can do more here. And, and kind of being that, that coach slash facilitator slash friend slash mentor all wrapped into one. Well, I think you go through and listen for them to what's really good and build on those things that are really, really good. And fortunately, Frank came into it, you know, taking over for Pat, he had pressure and he knew it. And he was at that point very prepared and gave great insight. And the thing that he had that we knew up front is coach Fisher was still the coach. He had played for coach Fisher yeah. and he had, and he had played for the majority of guys who, he had played with a majority of guys who were still playing. So we told him, you have unique insight into this team. Give us that get, and give us that over and over again. What, uh, when they're in the huddle, what is Fisher like on third and two? What, do, what does the defensive coordinator want in this particular situation? You're ahead 21 to 17 with three minutes to go. The other team has the ball. What's the defense's real goal here? And that insight from the from the huddle to the meeting rooms to the sidelines, we really encouraged that. And he did a fantastic job giving us that. That was something Pat couldn't give us because while Pat played 13 years in the league, you know, he played for the Jets for 12. And Pat, Pat's job as a backup quarterback was to break down film. He broke down film for Richard Todd and for Kenny O'Brien. And so he, he understood what we were seeing when things were lined up. I, I've never heard an announcer who was better at saying, okay, they're doing this. 
to try to get this matchup. It was a, it was unreal. Frank couldn't do that. Frank wasn't a quarterback. What Frank could do differently is he could tell us about this team. And so that's what we tried to get him to do. And that was something that he did very, very well in his infancy that got him comfortable and gave him very smart things to say right away. And that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to give him smart things to say right away that we knew he would know well and be able to impart something different to the audience. I have two more questions for you, if that's okay. One is football-related, sure. one's a little more off the wall. Um, <laughs> you had alluded to this earlier in terms of your very first season when through six games you went back and listened to yourself. Uh, how much at this point do you still go back and listen to yourself, and what are the things that you're looking and listening for now, um, and what catches your eye or uh, what catches your ear now? I try to listen in the off season When the game's over, I'm generally in so much pain there, there's no way that I could listen back and be productive. Um, all I can think about is the mistakes I've made and all I, I'm, I'm miserable. Uh, I've really had to work hard at that because I would get so depressed after a broadcast that I just wouldn't be able to even face, you know, eating dinner or I, I mean, it's awful. It was just an awful thing because all I could think about was, Oh, you screwed up this, or you screwed up that, or you didn't do this well, or you misidentified a player, or you know things that happened to everybody. I've I've come to realize, really, in the last five years, that I, I've got to do better with that personally, and that by putting so much pressure on myself in those ways, I make it more likely to happen again. So I've got to realize that you you've got to let it go and and kind of ease up. So those are the things from an initial standpoint that I would do. And, and, and that's why I can't listen back. I listen out of season when I'm driving and I still go out and see a lot of groups in Tennessee and Alabama and Kentucky uh, to, to speak to a civic club or a business group or a quarterback club or whatever. I will uh, listen at that point to tapes and I'm listening for inaccuracy I'm listening to to hear crutches, things that I say over and over again that are unnecessary. I'm listening to hear things that I like. And then the other thing I really listen to is I listen to descriptions of things as as a listener at that moment that I say, okay, how could I say that with less words and make you understand? It? Sure. So, for example, we've gone to this formation where we line up, in essence, two fullbacks, each offset with a tailback. So we have what looks like an old wishbone formation, but I can't call it a wishbone formation because the majority of my audience has no idea what that is. I know because I'm old, but <laughs> and, I, and I followed football passionately, but, you know, you don't call a football game or anything – for experts, you call it for everyone. And so, you know, I've talked with coaches. I said, what do you call this? And and our people call it the diamond formation. Looks like a diamond with the quarterback. Okay. So once a year, I'll sort of describe what the diamond formation is. And then I will, for their, you know, from then on, just refer to it as they have three backs in the backfield. They're in the diamond formation behind Marcus Mariota. 
how do I say things like that better and make them more descriptive with less words? How do you work on that? Because the other thing, too, is when you work on less words, you give yourself less of a chance to screw up. Yeah. I really I really work hard too to say last names. I, I really, really work hard rather than first and last names because even that extra word can can get you tripped up, particularly in in situations that big things are happening. Doesn't mean I won't. Doesn't mean I won't say Marcus Mariota. But everybody listening, I have to assume, knows who Mariota is. There's not another one on the team. <laughs> so the the gist of it is let's let's keep it, you know, let's keep it from being wordy. Um, that probably doesn't make any sense. But those are the things that no, very, I'm really very working much so. on all the time. Very much so, actually. Um, that actually makes a lot of sense. Um, last thing, I'll let you go on this note, uh, and it's kind of offbeat, but I'm curious. Uh, how does one call paintball? It's a great story. <laughs> so 1995, I'm 28 years old, 27 years old. I'm not 28 yet because it was in the winter. And my daughter was six months old. And a producer friend of mine, who's still a friend of mine, calls me and says, how'd you like to make $1,000? My first reaction is, is it legal? <laughs> He says, uh, we're doing the National Indoor Paintball Championships at a local community college. It's about 40 miles away from where I was living at the time. He says, how would you like to do play-by-play for that? And he said, and this was in the infancy of ESPN2, which was then known as the Dukes, uh, best known for Keith Oberman and his leather Leather jacket. jacket. Yes. And, and all of, and all of those sorts of things. So <laughs> I said, listen, I paintball looks like a lot of fun, <laughs> but like a lot of guys who work in sports, I, I've never been hunting. I don't fish. I, I don't play paintball. Those sorts of activities happen on the weekends. I'm working on weekends. I got nothing against any of that. It's just, I I'm not that guy. So he says, hey, no big deal. He goes, all we need you to do is just set up the matches. There were team matches and there were individual matches. And we're going to break these down. And ESPN2 is going to pick them up as a series. And so there'll be like, you know, 22-minute episodes. And we will shoot all day. And we'll have a whole season of team matches. And then a whole season of individual matches. And your color announcer is the best female paintball player in the history <laughs> of paintball. So all you have to do is say, hey, it's it's team one against team two here in the semifinals, and then she's going to talk it all the way through. And then you throw to break and whatever. So I said, yeah, I can do that. So the call time is 5 a.m. So I get down there, and I've got my suit on, and I'm you know, ready to go. Well, it turns out that the world's greatest female paintball player has laryngitis. So so what they want me to do is they want me to do my read to set up the matches, and then they want me to call the action based on the fact that 
they will need camera shots. And then they're going to go back and dub her in when she has a voice doing the actual color. But for the purposes of this day, they need me to call every match. Not just the play-by-play, but basically do the color. I'm like, this is nuts. This will never work. So I think about the old Bob Costas story where like the first hockey game he ever called, he just decides that one guy's going to do everything. Yep. Because, and and I don't, I can't remember the exact story, but there's some story I read at that point in time where he said, yeah, he goes, I, he goes, I was just essentially making this guy into Wayne Gretzky, you know, <laughs> that this guy was doing everything. So that's what I decided I was going to do. Remember, it's not going to be used. So I'm saying, hey, Joel is the greatest long range shooter in the history of paintball. <laughs> He's from London, England, and I mean, this guy's amazing. He's thought by some. So I'm throwing out these plaudits that are opinions, so they're not necessarily wrong, but I'm just going to have fun because that's the only way I can get into this because I don't know anything about it. Well, it turns out that like 98% of what I say turns out to be accurate. (laughs) It's the most hilarious because they're talking in my headset and they're saying – You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> this guy knows about paintball. How does this guy know about paintball? I don't know anything about paintball. So we come back and we ended up meeting up later down there. And uh, ESPN2 didn't buy it. The Deuce didn't buy it. Uh, it ends up being sold on on VHS cassettes. I have a copy of it. <laughs> I, I have shown it to the people I work with, with the Titans, who did not believe it was true. But it was a, it was a great experience. I, I mean, it really was a great experience from the standpoint of understanding, you know, what they needed from me as far as television, uh, that how they needed me to set things up. I had to do a ton of stand-ups, and I had never really done that before. And so, you, you know, it's one of those deals that from that experience, I learned a lot of stuff. And the other thing, too, is like um, – the people on the crew were like national. There were some regional, but there were some national people there too. You know, it was the first time I'd ever worked with a truck. And because I was in this goofy position, I didn't feel any pressure. And so I was just very loose all day. And when it was over and we were there for like 16 hours, the people told me, they go, hey, uh, you're a you're a really nice guy to work with. And I was like, well, thanks a lot. I appreciate that. And, you know, as I've as I've worked for ESPN at different points and as I've seen different things at points, you come to realize not everybody is. But what an advantage that is to any broadcaster when you are like a Kevin Harlan or you're one of those people that they consider that kind of pleasant and that kind of easy to work with. That gets you more jobs. You know, you think you you think you want to go in and boss everybody around and be this, you know, whatever. But it gets you more jobs being a good person. And I learned a lot from from that experience that, you know, 22 years later still resonates, which it sounds like a joke. (laughs) And it and it's part of my bio that has always, I've always had them leave it in there. They're like, do we still need to leave this? In? I said, yeah, because it's an interesting thing to people. Like people don't believe that's true. <laughs> they, most people read that in my bio and they think 
that's just thrown in to check and see if you really read the bio. It's like the M&Ms and the writer. Yeah, yeah. But, but sometimes, you know, sometimes people will say things that aren't true just to check as a joke, just to check and see if you will really look and people look at that. They go, what's this? And and then I can tell the story, which is a hundred percent true. I mean, it's, it's, it is not made up and I bet there aren't five play by play announcers who can say they've done that. You're not a, you're not officially a broadcaster until the world's greatest paintball player has laryngitis, I guess is the, uh, the world's greatest female <laughs> paintball player. True. And she was, and she was wonderful. When she came back in, I, I heard her work and I mean, she was absolutely phenomenal describing who these people were and, and everything, but they actually used some of my commentary too. <laughs> like it was the two of us working together. We were, we were quite a team, even though we weren't. That's amazing actually that they can even do that, but yeah, miracles of technology. Miracles of technology <laughs> in 1995. That's right. Mike, uh, thank you so much for doing this. This was a, this was a blast for me. So I appreciate you. Oh, giving thank me the, you. It's a pleasure. The time. I always love talking about the business. That is Mike Keith on play by play cast. Many thanks as always to him for uh, taking the time, the 45 minutes or so to, uh, to join us on the pod and uh, allow me to pick his brain a little bit. Paintball. Paintball. Not only that, but post-produced paintball solo. Like, there's so many twists and turns to that. Can you imagine broadcasting paintball, first and foremost? Thinking you're going to have a partner, not having a partner, and having a lot of it uh, done in post-production as well. The whole thing is amazing when you think about it. Uh, I really kind of want to hear those tapes, too, that, that Mike says he, he still has. Uh, I think it'd be, I think it'd be fun just to kind of take a look back and, and see what that was like. I also think it would be a terrible nightmare to try to do that if, if I was in those shoes. That's one of those situations where it's like, yeah, I'll do paintball. I have to do what? Like, if, what did I get myself into? Uh, as soon as you find out you're going to be solo when the world's greatest female paintball player, uh, can't show up because she has no voice. Uh, I love it. <laughs> I love those stories that we get sometimes uh, that are a little bit off the beaten path here on the podcast. Many thanks again, though, as always, to Mike Keith for uh, for joining us. Next week, we'll go to the college ranks. We will talk with one of the longest tenured voices in all of collegiate broadcasting. We've had a couple of them on. Uh, Rich Chivotkin at Georgetown, if you scroll back through the archives, was I think in the teens. He might have been in the 20s. Uh, he is one of the longest tenured guys as a basketball voice for the Georgetown Hoyas. Bill Hillgrove is episode 9, if you scroll back toward the beginning. Very well known for being the voice of the Steelers, but is one of the very longest tenured collegiate broadcasters as the voice of the Pittsburgh Panthers. Well, uh, next Friday, if you uh, download the pod on time, Don Fisher will be with us. He is the 44-year voice of the Indiana Hoosiers. Don Fisher, uh, who played we, we, this is this is an interesting quirk by the way uh, Don and I played in the same celebrity golf outing last week I apologize to the group that got me because you could have had Don it's a weird world sometimes folks Don Fisher will join us as the guest on next week's podcast the voice of the Indiana Hoosiers until then we say so long hit it marshmallow play by play cast is out Everybody.